0: Good morning. Holy Spirit, lead. Um, It's going to be a heavier message today. So, on my way here in the car, uh, God brought this to mind, and I think you're going to need it. So, I want to read you uh, two verses from Proverbs chapter 3 toward the end, which says, actually, three verses. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, Your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. When. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Key things to remember. When the onslaught. Comes. And we're already seeing some of it in our culture, in our country, in our world. Do not be afraid of sudden fear. The Lord will be your confidence. And then one more verse that kind of will set up what we are going to guard against hopefully today. And that would be the worldly influences, the influences of the world. You must have heard from the first service because there's not many people up front in the front seats. (laughs) I was like, "Ah!" that's why I'm like so uh, so much more reserved here because I think the energy level, I need to just bring it back a little bit, a notch. But Colossians 2 verse 8 is a very important verse. I would highly encourage you to commit it to memory. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And boy, do we see the worldly philosophies all around us, the doctrines of demons, the self-help garbage, the immorality that's being pushed by some philosophy, some worldview, right? We are in a worldview war. This is how I ended up the, at the end of the service, uh, the first service. I said, it really comes down to three words, doesn't it? To me, worldview war, God or man. Or small g, God. We are either going in the direction of the one true, living, holy, righteous, just God and Lord of the universe, or we are going the way of man. And you know the way of man, where they're going, where man is going. Small g. Any God, any idol, anything else you're going after that is not Jesus Christ, Lord, King of kings, you know the direction that is. Correct? We're going to be talking about that today. So two places We'll get to eventually Mark 13 and 1 Thessalonians 5, but I want to open up, um, the title of the message is Be Watchful Knowing the Time. It comes from Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, which says, So then be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How can we understand? Whoop! <laughs> how can we understand what the will of the Lord is? Right here, His Word. This is His will for us. Um, so we know it. Um, the Greek word for time here is interesting, it denotes a fixed, measured, allocated season. Not time as in, what time is it? How many minutes do I have? What am I going to do this hour? This is, we're talking about a season of life and a, a, a fixed measured time. Believers are encouraged throughout Scripture to make the most of your time. And my fear is that American Christians are not making the most of our time because the days are evil. Who is influencing the culture or the country more? Is it the church of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, or is it the Antichrist spirit of the age? Is it the progressive, uh, secular progressives? Is it the atheists? Is it the, the godlessness that's rampant throughout our society? Who is influencing our culture more? Why? You know the answer to that. My question is why? So, Believers, we expect the coming king and kingdom. We know that's from the scriptures. We know that's going to happen. The blessed hope, we're thankful for that. But along with that expectation of the kingdom, we also know that there's going to be judgment. And we don't like talking about that. We don't like talking about sin, repentance, judgment, the wrath of God. But that's where we're going today. That's what God put on my heart And I make no apologies for it. It, I I had to preach this in the first service. This is a hard message. But I believe we need to hear it. And somebody watching needs to hear it um, to redeem the time. Because the days are evil. So key scriptures, again, Mark 13, 1 Thessalonians 5. We've got a little bit of setup and introduction before we get there. Jesus often commanded his followers to watch, to be alert to understand the times because this was important to him, shouldn't it be important to us? He also rebuked the most educated and religious men of his day, the Judaizers, for their inability to discern the times. Not only was the long expected and predicted Messiah right in their midst, right in front of their noses, But they failed to not only see him and recognize the Messiah, but they also failed to watch the signs of the times. We're going to get into the signs of the times today. So in Matthew 16, he said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you are unable to discern the signs of the times? Do we, in the United States of Entertainment, do we understand the signs of the times as Christians in America? When we're talking about the converging events, the, the coalition that's coming against Israel, that we see the the war, the, the talk about rumors of wars, right? The threats ramping up with the enemies of God, enemies of Israel. When we see those signs, when we see the globalism, the push for globalism, now it's in America. It's made its way to our shores and it's impacting our country. This globalist push, remove America, get, get the Constitution, get capitalism out of the way so we can have the Great Reset. We're seeing all these things in our time, but it's not... Shocking that we're seeing them. What's shocking is the speed with which these things are happening, the converging events. That's what's eye-opening to me. I don't know about you guys. So Terry James uh, is a prophecy watcher. He said, Jesus knew that neglecting to watch would be a major symptom of apostasy at the end of the church age. He knew that people will be more and more caught up in the affairs of an increasingly sinful world, the nearer history moves toward the tribulation era. caught up more caught up in the affairs of the increasingly sinful world. Now what did Colossians 2:8 say? It says, "See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Don't be caught up in these worldly things." And I'll let you conclude, because I can speculate for for hours and days. Um, We do it on the podcast all the time. I'll let you conclude um, what kind of church and culture we have today in America. Most would say, I mean, most Bible-believing Christians that are aware of the prophetic would say that we have failed to post watchmen on the wall. We have failed to, even church leaders, to sound the alarm, to equip the saints. Not every church, but this is a generalization. Many people would say, we have not quite measured up. We have not prepared. Otherwise, why, why wouldn't the church of Jesus Christ be influencing? And that's a big word, important word, influence, salt and light. Why wouldn't the church be more impactful than it is? We are in a pagan nation. We are in a secular nation. Um, so, what would Jesus say to the church of America today? That's one question that, you know, maybe for another time. But we do know what he said to the churches in Revelation in chapter 2 and 3. These were Christian churches. And this was 70 years after the resurrection. This was, um, was it 70 years? around that time but it was, it was not too long after Jesus established the church and the Holy Spirit came on the scene the day of Pentecost it was a matter of you know five to seven decades and then here are these letters to these churches made up of believers that Jesus rebuked <laughs> and um, one church in Revelation 2 and 3 said they were lukewarm Laodicea another church lost its first love Another church had a reputation for being alive, but they were dead. I can think of a lot of churches in the country that look like they're all fun and they're alive. Oh, my goodness, look at the rock concert instead of worship on a Sunday morning. And you go on down the list, they look like they're alive. They have a reputation for being alive. But they're spiritually dead and they're inconsequential to a dying culture. So... Let's go to what he said, just two verses here, what he said to the church at Sardis. He said this, Be watchful, there are those words again, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works completed or perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I come upon you. That's pretty sobering knowing that those words are from Jesus. It's also eye-opening that those words are for believers. We're pretty comfortable here, aren't we? I'm not talking about in, in this church. I'm talking about in this nation. We are blessed to have the constitution that we do. We really are. But as many of our founders warned, we did not do what was necessary to preserve the republic under God. The saying goes, Benjamin Franklin was asked when he came out of the Constitutional Convention, people wanted to know what what kind of society we would have. And this woman asked him, what do we have, sir? And he said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. If you can keep it. So, what did Jesus say here? Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. If you can keep it. If you can keep that biblical worldview. So, the good news is, it's possible, if it's possible to strengthen what remains, that means everything is not lost yet. If it's possible to strengthen what remains in today's church. If Jesus has not returned... It's possible. I tend to be an optimist, but I look at our country and I go, okay, (laughs) we've hit the iceberg, we're going down. So save as many people as you can. It's not hopeless. Remember what they received and heard at first. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, one of the best chapters in the Bible, and there are a lot, there are many, But he wrote to the Corinthians and said he passed on to them what he received from the Lord. And then he laid out the gospel and talked about the resurrection body and the return of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. He passed on to them what he received. This is saying strengthen the things which remain, what they received, it says. In 1 Thessalonians, it says uh, Paul wrote to that church in 2.13 Chapter 2, verse 13, he says this, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of mere men, but as it really is, the word of God, which also is at work in you who believe. So they received it as the word of God. They heard it, they received it strengthen the things that remain and are about to die. This church in America, friends, we are suffering. Look at our impact. I mean, just to think that last year, a year ago, we were deemed non-essential by our society, by our government. Jesus is Lord, and he is essential, and our God can never be canceled. But the left the haters of God and, and the forces of darkness and the enemies of God are trying to eradicate the biblical worldview from our society, from public, the public square, and they have been successful. Influence, salt and light. What happened? When I say forces of darkness, I've got to parenthetically insert human and demonic. Paul writes in Ephesians six twelve, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So it's not against people, but It's people that we have to deal with. It's people that are going against God. It's people that have rejected the truth, that are redefining the truth, that are creating their own gender and their own delusions and living by them, that are running our government, that are making decisions for our country, for our government-run antichrist public school systems. There are human beings that are making those decisions. But what's underneath it? Forces of darkness. There's a demonic realm that we rarely talk about but Jesus talked about the devil often. Paul warned about demonic entities. He, warned, he said we are not to be caught up in these things. We are to put on the armor of God, and our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's what Paul said. We don't recognize the spiritual warfare, or do we, and want to ignore it or avoid it or deny it. And I think that's more where many of us fall. So wake up, watch out, strengthen what remains before it's too late. Paul told the Christians at Rome now. We went from Colossians to Ephesians to um, church at Sardis to the Thessalonians. Now we're at Rome, where in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 11, he said, Do this knowing the time. There's that word again, time. It's not what time it is this morning right now. It's this season, this era that we're living in. We're still in the church age, friends, but it's getting close to the end, and I think most of you understand that. So do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. These are Christians he's talking to. In every one of these letters, remember, these are believers, Jews that were converted to Christ, the way, during that time. They had a, they were, most of them were Jewish. They had converted. These were the early Christians. Awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near, therefore let's rid ourselves of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Here the Greek word for time views it as a period of time. Sleep, it's not, you know, you've had your seven hours, roll over, hit the snooze button, No, he's literally talking about spiritual apathy. When there's a warning for Christians in the New Testament to wake up, they're they're talking about apathy. They're talking about disinterest in spiritual things, the things of God. I'm too busy with my own life. I don't have time to read the Bible, God's living word. Every day I don't have time for it. Spiritual apathy. Indifference disinterest in the things of God. How much time do you think we have left here before the return of Christ? Next question, how much time do you have, do I have on this earth? Now, well, there's no way we can know, right? So since we don't know, my sister died when she was 24. Many of you know people, you know, children that die. We think, well, we're going to live to be 70 or 80 or 90 and... My mom's 90, (laughs) my dad died at 62. How much time do you have? Do this knowing the time, time to awaken from sleep, your spiritual apathy, your slumber, your spiritual indifference about the things of God. We are so wrapped up into American Christianity, we are so wrapped up into our own lives, We've got to work, I've got to, I've got to eat, I've got to feed this flesh, I've got to take care of my family, I've got to uh, plan for retirement, I've got, I've got to take care of the car, the house. Uh, oh my goodness, social media, I've got to do this. And I, I'm, I'm pointing at you and three fingers are pointed right back at me when I'm doing this. I get distracted just like you do, but we have to guard against this, friends, as Christians, in these last days. We have to guard against this. Otherwise, the world will continue to do what the world does, but the church is suffering the people of God. So we cannot possibly know how much time we have. So even more so, we should have a sense of urgency, shouldn't we? One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain hearts of wisdom. Redeem the time. So do we have that sense of urgency, most of us? Do we, are we passionate about the things of God? Are we aware of the level of darkness, the spiritual warfare, what's being the evil that is being unleashed in our country? I'm telling you, friends, because from what I see, most people just want to avoid it, ignore it, or deny it. Is, is that what we should be doing? If we truly love our neighbor, if that's thrown at us a lot, you don't love your neighbor. You don't care. Well, if we care, shouldn't we care that they're going to hell and judgment is coming? Shouldn't we care? We should. Do we always? Eh, Too busy. I got a vacation to plan. (laughs) Got barns to fill. Garages to build got places to go. There's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, taking a break. Rest is good. Vacations are good. But I think in America, if we were to have a conversation with a Christian in Nigeria or a Christian in the Middle East or the underground church in China, they would go, really, you spend $1,000 to go stay somewhere else and eat and take pictures and come back and In terms of eternity, what does that matter? I struggle with this, you guys. I really do. How to find that balance and redeem the time and understand what's happening around us. So um, are we speaking the truth into these things that are happening all around us? Are we exalting Christ while we are exposing the works of darkness? Ephesians 5.11. How do you expose works of darkness if you don't say anything? Oh, you can't, you can't mention sin. Judge ye not. How do you, no, serious question. How do you expose the works of darkness? That's what. Unless the Bible is not our authority. How do you expose the deeds of darkness? How do you sound the alarm and warn others? What happened to the, where are the watchmen? All right, flock, I'm going to guard you. Wolf! run sort out James Robinson said we must reject the thought that evangelism is to be separated from the importance of standing against evil we weren't saved just to escape this world and go to heaven transformed people transform the culture while standing Against evil. I believe that with all my heart. How do you do that? That's another, for a whole other conversation. Transformed people. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? In the word of God. How much time are you spending reading the Bible? I'm not talking about works. I'm not talking about chalking up things to do. I'm, I'm saying the word of the one true holy living just god of the universe our creator who we have a relationship with thanks to jesus christ how much time are you spending in this book so we're talking about the the life preserving the life-saving salt and light of the gospel and of the influence of believers. I think in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about believers being the aroma of Christ, doesn't it? What kind of aroma are you leaving in your sphere of influence? I told you this is going to be convicting, guys. I told you. I tried to warn you, <laughs> but this is what God put on my heart and I'm, I'm tired. I get so. I, I feel heartbroken sometimes when I see the, the state of the church in America from where we started and we have no excuse in America with our constitution, our religious freedoms, I get heartbroken. That's why what's coming out today might seem like anger. I hope, it, I hope you interpret it more as passion and concern. If we are to be watchmen, there are souls at stake. There are people that are lukewarm or are, are in churches today ready to fall away from God because they're living for the world. We've got to warn them. And there are people that don't know the true God. They don't know there's a God who died for them and, and is saying, I, I'm here. I'm willing to save you. Come to me. And we are the ones that have that message of reconciliation. We are the ones, and yet we're silent. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Is he right? Some would disagree with that. I, I, Bonhoeffer, oh my goodness, one of the third of, of German pastors that stood up to Hitler and the Nazis, and he was martyred days before the world war ii came to an end and the allies invaded germany but dietrich bonhoeffer was hanged because he would say what they're doing is evil and i'm going to stand against it as a man of the cloth as a pastor and about one-third of them did stood against hitler the rest all right let's go along with the state-run church here sure we'll do that we'll take the bibles out here we'll put in take the crosses down What what do you want us to put on the altar mein kampf okay Two thirds of the churches in Germany. But what has America done in the public school system? We used to have crosses on the wall. We used to say the Pledge of Allegiance. We used to have the Ten Commandments, God's law. We used to pray. The kids used to pray every day. The teachers would lead. It was voluntary. It was not the curriculum. But that's what we did because we were Christians. At least we thought we were in America. So we took everything out prayer. The Bible, Ten Commandments, what do they have now? Where they're educating America's children. What's what's in the public schools now? I just said, you know, you remove God, Jesus, you remove the, the Christian worldview, you leave a pretty big void, don't you? Something's gotta fill that gap. What is it? What is it? It's gotta be demonic. Small gods, worldly philosophies, gender confusion. confusion. That's removing, good point, that's removing the God who is. The God of creation. The God of the universe of all mankind. The God of male and female, Genesis 1, 26, 27. He made them. You remove that God, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. Everyone can do what's right in their own eyes. What could go wrong? Look at our country. We've raised, a ge- we've raised generations of children who are now executives at these big tech companies and these media companies that are now suppressing and silencing people like myself, pastors, people that speak the biblical Christian worldview. They are censoring us from government, to the mainstream liberal media activists, to the public school system, to the university system, of course, what happens in the university doesn't stay in universities, right? And now at universities, most universities in America, the places of higher learning, higher education, you can now register as a freshman as one of many genders. One of however many genders, you just pick whatever you want. I think they're up to, I might know, 72 now or something, I don't know. At universities, freshmen can register. This is what gender I this is what, what I identify as today. How did we get here? I know I told this, this story before, and I'm, I'm really veering off my notes, but I think this is a valid point. Harvard University, the first universities in America were Christian. They were teaching theology. You had to translate the Greek, right? You had to translate, and you had to know and memorize scripture to exalt Christ and make him known. That was one of the goals, uh, uh, Harvard, Princeton, Princeton, Oxford, Yale, all these early early universities. And in the early days of Harvard in the 1600s, their, their motto was a shield in three parts, truth for Christ and the church. Truth for Christ and the church. Harvard, John Harvard was a minister. He was a theologian. The first 12 graduates from Harvard University ended up being pastors and ministering to congregations, teaching the Bible for higher learning. Everything we need is wisdom for the world and how to live is in this book. But the world has rejected it now. So within 150 years at Harvard University, they took two things off of that shield, Christ and the church you remove the truth Jesus Christ Lord of Lords and the biblical worldview wisdom from God and you remove the church the body of Christ from higher education what do you have they call it veritas one word now they re- they removed church Christ and the church whose veritas are they teaching and what veritas truth really you know what they're saying Oh, That's your truth Bible believing Christians. That's your truth. There is no truth. I have my own truth Well, when someone says there is no truth a good response would be how do you know that's true? There is no truth, but that's what they're teaching you can make up your own Truth life gender future. You can be whatever you want Doctrines of demons So Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 13 and just some select verses. It's a big chapter. It parallels, obviously, uh, Matthew chapter 24. Um, Mark 13, Jesus predicted the coming destruction of the temple, which prompted questions naturally from the disciples. Um, So think about this. If They were saying, remember when the Titanic was built and set out to sail? Many people would say, even God couldn't sink this ship. Do you remember that? How, what would you think if someone were to predict the Titanic's going to hit an iceberg and it's going to go down? You would go, what about the, what about the Twin Towers? What about uh, 9-11, the, the, the massive towers? If someone 10 years before that or, hmm, how about 35 years before, like Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple, about 35 year, years before 9-11, as someone said, those the Twin Towers in, in New York City, they're going to come down. They're massive. They were tall. How could man bring towers down? Well, so Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple. It happened within, I think, 35 years of when he predicted it, more or less. But it came down. These massive stones... Some of them had gold plates on them. They could be seen from miles. It was brilliant. It was impressive, an impressive structure of man. Jesus said, not one stone will be left on another. And the disciples, the people that followed him, knew, well, Jesus doesn't lie and he doesn't exaggerate, so we've got to find out what (laughs) what he's talking about here. So they said in verse 3, Mark 13, tell us when... Will these things come about? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began <laughs> to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Watch. Notice he didn't say, they said when. Um, in 150 A.D. or 70 A.D. or 1997 or 2021. No, first thing out of Jesus' mouth was, See to it that no one misleads you. Don't be deceived by anything that's going to happen, by any man that's going to come spewing something that is not of God. Um, another key prophetic warning in this chapter, if you go on to verse 13, another sign that we understand today, and you will be hated by everyone because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Now that endurance doesn't mean we can save ourselves by enduring. What it means is perseverance during troubled times. Jesus said, "In me you in me you will have peace. In this world you will have tribulation." But he didn't stop there, "But take heart, I have overcome the world." So in verse 19 now, notice he describes Great tribulation in the future, great meaning a long duration characterized by extreme pressure and continual anguish. Human beings will be going through this, friends. Human beings, people on this earth will be going through this. Now, this is the great capital G, tribulation at the end of the age, So toward the end of the discourse now, let's skip down to verse 33 in Mark 13. Jesus warns to be watchful again. He says, first of all, he he states he is authoritative and his word is eternal. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone Watch out, stay alert, for you do not know when the appointed time is. Jesus made it a point to tell us that only the Father knows the exact time, but there will be signs. There will be signs, symptoms of the times. Um, So just some of those signs, I know we've studied them before. A couple of years ago, we were going through the Gospel of Matthew uh, 24, Uh, And in Mark 13, false prophets. Now, now think about these things. And at that time, they were warned. Think about during Jesus' time, him speaking these words to his disciples and how they're trying to, they could probably understand a few of these, but they're trying to make sense of some of them. Now, hindsight's 20, 20 plus we have the word of God, right? We look back and look at our times now and go, check, check, check. I can see that. I can see that. So here are just some of the signs uh, quickly. False prophets, wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, earthquakes, famines. And then he said, these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. It goes on persecution, increased lawlessness, many people's love growing cold. We see that today, don't we? The gospel preached to all nations Christians will be hated, there will be tribulation. Verse 24 describes post-trib events preceding Jesus' return. Um, But the chapter concludes with Jesus repeating again what I say to you, I say to everybody, watch out. He said, stay alert. The New King James, one word, watch. Judgment is coming. Christ is returning. Just like he said. I don't think I live like it all the time. I trust that maybe most of you don't always live like it, but he is returning. Um, but this time, he won't be coming as a meek and mild lamb preparing for another slaughter. You know, we've been sold on the baby in the manger at Christmas, and we often think Jesus of Jesus in those terms, just an innocent, peaceful baby. So cute. But when he returns, he's coming to judge the nations, riding a white horse with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. That means he is going to speak the word of God. It will divide people. He will judge the nations. He will rule with an iron scepter. And he is coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah, not that little old lamb we know about. And he is going to be and is the conquering king of kings and lord of lords. This is very real. Otherwise, this book is a lie. But if you believe this is our authority and you believe the Bible is true and inerrant, which even some churches in America, sad to say, don't believe that about this book that is an inspired, the word of God, the word of truth, then we know there will be a very same Jesus but different season, different time, different purpose when he returns. There are 19 uses. By the way, look at Revelation 19 if you want to read that description. I think it starts in around verse 10 or 12 about that returning King Jesus. And he talks about he's coming back to make war. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus was all about peace. Interesting. Hmm, The prince of peace making war. Wrap your head around that. So in the pages of Scripture, there are 19 uses of the day of the Lord In the Old Testament, in the New Testament 4, I believe, this is also referred to as the day of doom. I'm just being real with you today, friends. We don't hear this a lot. The day of vengeance. The New Testament calls it a day of visitation and also the day of wrath. These are terrifying judgments of God that will be poured out on this earth. There's something we need to clarify real quick. Uh, about not times, seasons, future wrath. Go to thir- First Thessalonians chapter five. I think I told you we were going there. First Thessalonians five, and look at what the apostle Paul writes to the believers there. He says, "Now as to the periods and times, brothers and sisters, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming." just like a thief in the night. Then it says something very interesting. Well, everyone is saying peace and safety. They are saying peace and safety. Then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, here's differentiating the world from the true believers now, differentiating those who have rejected God from born-again Bible-believing Christians and those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let's not sleep as others do. Let's be alert and sober. Let's be alert. I agree. There's a reference here to sleep again, which is spiritual apathy or being lukewarm, indifferent. Let's not sleep. That's why they say, they say wake up so, so many times. But verse 9, note verse 9 uh, that says, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Salvation is eternal life in Christ. That's where we are headed, God willing. If you have placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, not our own works, not a worldly system, not anything else, but in him alone, the one true living God who died for our sins and we have repented and have turned to him and are now as an authentic reaction or work of our conversion, we are living and doing good works, then we are not asleep. We are going to be saved. Um, We are saved, we were saved, and we're going to be saved. Does that make sense? We we are saved, we were saved by Jesus, and we are going to be saved. But this mention of wrath seems to refer to God's eternal wrath, not his temporary wrath during the tribulation period. There's a lot of debate about this now in these, these particular verses. It's not an essential doctrine of salvation, nothing to die on a hill for, but this wrath seems to be indicating Destiny. The unbelievers, the godless, have a destiny. We, true believers that have accepted Christ and are living for Him, we have a destiny, and that's with Him in heaven. So He rescues believers. Verse um, in the same chapter, I'm sorry, the cha- same book, chapter 1, verse 10 says He rescues believers from the wrath to come. That means there's coming wrath not his temporary wrath during the tribulation period necessarily, although some people believe that will be the case, we'll be rescued from that. But that's either way, it's great news. If we are rescued our destiny from our destiny, the the some that are heading toward that destiny of God's judgment and wrath because they have rejected him, we don't have to worry about that. So (laughs) thank God, right? Are you thankful for that? His wrath is quite destructive, The first three and a half years of the tribulation, half of the world's population dies. God's wrath is unleashed at the end of the seven-year period and also at the end of the millennium. These are actually 1,000 years apart if you're thinking about the timeline Um, of the Great Tribulation and then the Millennium. Inquiring minds, though, we want to know when, how close are we? And there are date setters, they have been wrong, false prophets. But the warning for us seems to be watch. Notice again, though, the warning that, that in here, this passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, the day could come as a thief in the night. It's important to note here this phrase is never used in reference to the rapture of the church. Why? Well, a thief indicates stealing, indicates surprise or shock, something that's going to you can be anxious about or fearful of. We are not to be fearful of the rapture <laughs> if we're saved, right? We're not fearful of the rapture. But so why the references to a thief in the night? Different kind of warning. Um, we look forward to the rapture. So the seven-year tribulation and the rapture, the catching up of the saints, that word rapturo means to be caught up. That's, they're two different separate events. They're distinct. So verse 3, though, this is fascinating, and you will hear more of this. Verse 3, don't you notice talk about peace and safety? This was to the Thessalonian church. But here today you hear a lot of people talking about focusing on peace and safety. Right, Um, And this will increase as we see more godlessness. There will be people that are just in complete denial. They just want you to focus on the peace and safety. Your best life now. Visualize. God wants to bless you, give you favor, give you a house and allow you to take a month-long vacation and just give you... You love this life. Um, Let me just share with you an un unscheduled scripture from 1 John uh, <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides forever." What did it start out by saying? Do not love the world. What do we hear from some fluffy, positive thinking, Christianity, and preaching sermons in, in some churches, not all, but some churches? This, I love this world. We can have every blessing we, we can dream up, right? Anything you can visualize. God wants us to have the abundant life, right? Abundance. Let's, let's bring God in, that big genie. All right, let's rub it. All right, let me see. Winning lottery ticket, you know, <laughs> wonderful, pain-free, hassle-free life where everybody loves you and you're the most popular person in your sphere of influence. Anyway, um, do what? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And everyone we will have to answer for what we have done and what we have taught or said, we will all answer for that. Um, So this idea of thief in the night, it doesn't go along with peace and safety, does it? But you will hear more um, people who are ignorant ignorant of prophecy. I'm talking about in the church. Remember, false prophets, most often, do they ever, false prophets, just the opposite of a Jeremiah, Isaiah, the prophets that were killed, (laughs) right? Because they brought convicting messages. False prophets most often forecast a bright, fluffy, positive, peaceful, safe, everything in the future is going to be roses. but That's not biblical. But that's what we've been sold on, hasn't it? There's a lot of Christian books out there, and I'm an author, but there's a lot of Christian books out there that I go, this shouldn't even be in a Christian store. And you know some of the books I'm talking about. Put it under self-help, worldly philosophy, positive thinking, whatever, mental gymnastics to avoid the reality of life. Put it into whatever category, but don't put that in the church where the body of Christ should be reading these things and thinking this way. Um, Quickly, this idea of this fluffy, positive, the talk of peace and safety, there's a reason they do that. First of all, they want to raise money for whatever church or cause, but they don't want you to look at what the reality of what really is forecasted in the Bible, prophetic things. So this idea of the, the days of Noah, um, I want to just clear something up there and point out a very fascinating thought from Matthew 24, verse 37 through, through 39. Just listen. Here's what it says. You've heard this before. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days, before the flood. We are living in a time before the judgment of God. Before his full wrath is poured out. We are living in a time where we know Jesus is returning and the coming kingdom. And we also know judgment is coming. We are living in that time that precedes it, Right? For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, in verse 39, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. 2439, they did not understand until judgment came upon them. How? Like a thief in the night. Take this as a warning for us today here in America. You see the condition of our country and our culture. You see who has more influence and more power. It's not the ambassadors for Christ and representatives of the Lord Jesus Although we're trying, some of us, we're trying to share the gospel, we're trying to (laughs) refute the lies, the moral relativism on steroids that we're seeing throughout our culture. But the majority of the impact, as we see decade after decade, less and less people have a Christian worldview. It's sobering, isn't it? I told you, I warned you at the beginning of this, it is sobering. But notice... Jesus emphasized here not so much the extreme wickedness of Noah's day, and in my opinion, we are more wicked. We've thought up ways to be more evil and sin than Noah's day. And we've got technology today and iPhones and the Internet and so many other ways that we can be evil, and we certainly do do it, right? We certainly use them. So it's not so much that he's referring to the extreme wickedness. Listen to this. He's pointing out people's preoccupation with routine, mundane matters of everyday life. And judgment fell suddenly. So we always used to look at that, the days of Noah, as, yeah, people were just re- rebellious and they were getting drunk and marrying whoever they wanted to and whatever else. But the point is, they were, there was also people that were just doing daily stuff, ignoring the signs of the times, ignoring the warnings. They say Noah was a preacher of righteousness. What was the main message of Jesus and John the Baptist? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What happened to that message? It's not popular today, is it? Not in America anyway. So people's preoccupation, and that's my encouragement to you, examine your own heart and your own life, and your own habits. And wherever you might be preoccupied with the things of this world, primarily, that's probably an indicator that something should change. Otherwise, you're going down that path of loving the world if you're living for this world and the things of this world. So the most graphic expression of God's holy wrath and his hatred of sin, Was when he poured out divine judgment on his own son on the cross. He had to black out the sky for three hours and couldn't even look at that disfigured deformity on the cross that didn't even resemble a human being, scripture tells us, Jesus on the cross. That's God's wrath. That's how he feels about sin. And that hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. How uh, it's a holy. he is a holy God. So very quickly, there are five kinds of wrath that I find to be very interesting if you were to look. First of all, the eternal wrath, which is a destiny, right? That's a destination for some. Eternal damnation and separation from God. Eternal wrath, hell, a final destination. Number two, eschatological wrath, which is the day of the Lord, the final day, capital D, judgment day. Then, number three, cataclysmic wrath, such as the flood, the worldwide, the global flood. And another example would be the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's cataclysmic wrath. Number four, and number four and five are interesting consequential wrath, the principle of reaping and sowing. When a person, an individual, or a culture, or a nation, you will reap what you sow. Are you reaping righteousness and godliness, or are you reaping or are you, are you sowing unrighteousness and wickedness and godlessness? You will reap what you sow, and the final one here, this is interesting um, I think of, there's these parallels to America I see in this idea of the wrath of abandonment now we are. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, believers in Christ. Thank God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We call him Abba, Father. We are adopted into his family as sons and daughters of the King. So I don't mean abandoning us as children. But this idea of abandonment, the wrath of abandonment, is when God removes his hands of restraint from a people or a culture or a nation, and that's what happened to america that's what's happening now in my understanding or view the the wrath of abandonment so he is not pouring out his wrath on wrath on america he's lifted his restraint he's not protecting us all the time i think sometimes his protection is still with us and his holy spirit of course his presence but i can see how there are things you look at and wow he must have a Abandon his restraint there. So the restraint of God, he removes it sometimes to allow people to just go full throttle into their sin and live in sin and with the consequences. Do we see consequences of any particular sins in America today? Yes? Just nod if, if you're still with me. Consequences of sin in America? Yes. So that's this idea. So it's not God intentionally pouring out his wrath, but He's allowing it, isn't he? He's allowing it. And that's, that's sometimes uh, frightening when we can live in our own, the consequences of our own actions. But um, Romans 1 describes this fifth form of wrath. When he gives them over, those who rejected him, rejected the truth, he gave them over to a depraved mind. He said, I'm stepping back. <laughs> you think you know better? All right. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. What's true for you is not true for me. Oh, okay, all right, do whatever. God says, all right, I'm giving you over to what you want. So he, he has abandoned the wicked throughout history. Let me clarify something. He, it, it might, you might think, wait a minute, doesn't that contradict with God so loves the world and he gave his only... When he abandons the wicked it's those who have already rejected him rebelled against him living in disobedience he says all right have it your way but there is free will there's the choice of every human being now the tragic example of romans 1 for example is all too familiar to us today and that the level of judgment that we are under you know we can speculate about that but here's how the apostle paul describes it briefly Um, Romans 1, 18 and 19, it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because, verse 19, that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. Wow. What does that tell you? No excuse. We have no excuse. It's quite clear, though. Let me just make a point. This is not an impulsive outburst of anger by a holy God. It's not something that we, just, we triggered God's wrath, right? That's not biblical. It's not an outburst of anger. This action by the holy Lord of the universe had been settled, and it is a determined response against sin by a righteous God. It's not something he enjoys. We have to understand that. He takes, in fact, the New Testament and other places in scripture, there's the, the point and the truth that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, of the wicked. So it's saying God doesn't enjoy even wicked people dying. Why? Because he created them in his image. We, every one of us, even the wickedness, uh, the most wicked person you can see, whether it be Hollywood or in our government or whatever in our culture that's just driving these godless, wicked, evil agendas, and that you can see it in their eyes sometimes, man. There's, they're demonic behind their, those eyes. You can see some people when they're doing interviews or some people, wow, there's, there's just this wickedness And it comes back to the spiritual dynamic. Who's driving us? The Holy Spirit. If there's a Holy Spirit of God, there must then be an unholy spirit. And that is the spirit, the Antichrist spirit of this age that we're seeing. So understand when you see this, you kind of might not be able to compute it at first. You go, wow, that person actually looks evil. And it's a facial distortion. It's something in their eyes. But it, it's this, the Antichrist spirit of the age that's driving them. So there, it's a very real dynamic, the spiritual dimension that's now being manifested in these times. So verse 18, one, one note here on the words, his wrath is revealed from heaven. Interesting. The word there, revealed, means to uncover, make visible, or make known. Five minutes and we'll be done. So God reveals his wrath in two different ways. It's either indirectly or directly. Indirectly through the natural consequences of violating his universal moral law or directly through his personal intervention. We also know from this verse that look how how that's worded. In verse 18, God pours out wrath against all ungodliness. How many of you know there's a lot of ungodliness in this world today? He pours out wrath against not you, not me, not necessarily even the person, but this ungodliness that is rampant. And more is coming, but we're seeing signs, aren't we? Um, Unrighteousness now refers to the result of ungodliness. It's a lack of conformity to the character and nature of God. So finally, what does suppressing the truth mean? Well, Jesus is the truth, and they suppressed him, or they tried, until that third day, and he blasted out of the tomb but they tried to suppress the truth. Even, the, even after he was raised from the dead, they tried to suppress what actually happened. Uh, tell everybody that his disciples came and stole his body. <laughs> well, produce the body, you know, parade it in the street and let me, let me see the, the Messiah. Did he, where is the body? What happened? So they've tried to suppress. This is nothing There's nothing new under the sun. But in our day and age, they're suppressing truth, aren't they? They're not only suppressing truth, They're suppressing science, biology, reason. They're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. So the Bible teaches that God planted evidence of his existence in the very nature of man by reason and by his moral law. um, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God set eternity In the heart of mankind that's a pretty big void that only God can fill he sets eternity in the hearts of man like I said earlier when it comes to whether it's government or the media or our culture or corporations or the public school system you take everything the things of God and the biblical worldview you remove truth something's got to fill that void and it does right It does things do and people are forcing these things on our society. They're forcing them on our children and But the point here to wrap up is no excuses Um, Although the evidence from conscience everyone has a conscience every human being the evidence from conscience creation Remember they said, uh, Paul writes in, in uh, Romans 1, men are without excuse because they, they're not even acknowledging the existence of God because of what is created, which is a point Paul makes. So whether it's conscience, creation, or God's word, we have his, we have his word on it. We have conscience. We can see and hear creation, the beautiful majesty of God in all that's created in the universe, in this world, and we have his word that the disciples didn't have at the time. They had the Old Testament, of course. But 2020, we have got, we've got this book now with a lot of prophetic information here. We know about God. He knows the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. He, we know the kind of life that this book wants us to live. How are you transformed by the renewing of your mind? How do you renew your mind? In the word. How much time are you spending in the word? If you have a relationship with the one true living God, which we do as born-again believers, we now, right through the veil, right? The veil was torn from top to bottom. Jesus paved the way. We can now go right into the Father's presence and have that communion, and we can have that relationship with God. And he can speak to us anytime we want. We can ask him to speak. And we have a prayer, a relationship, a communication that is constant or should be. So, to wrap up, no excuses. Evidence from conscience, creation, God's word. It is irrefutable then to most of us who can still reason and look at what we're laying out here. It is irrefutable. But men and women, but mankind choose to resist, to rebel to oppose the truth. Why? Sin is more appealing to them in the moment. And we all sin, and there's forgiveness. But some choose to completely go away, turn away from God, and don't want anything to do with Him, and choose to live certain lifestyles, behaviors and lifestyles. Holding fast to your sin, that's how the Bible would put it. Hold fast. I want to hold fast to God and his truth and the Holy Spirit. So to sum up, just some simple words and phrases that we went through today. And I know this was heavy. Um, wake up. Be alert. Understand the times. Understand the lateness of the hour. Don't be deceived. Redeem the time. Strengthen what remains. Warn others. And as Jesus said, Watch. So now I'll wrap up by just sharing that verse again in, in Proverbs that I start with, started with. Do not be afraid of sudden fear nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So then be careful how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word that it is eternal. As you say, Lord, we recognize your sovereignty and your faithfulness and your authority, and we recognize that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not. So, Father, help us to live according to it. Help us. There were a lot of scriptures shared today and a lot of commentary Lord, for each person here, give them what they need to retain in their heart and in their mind, hopefully from your word, because we know your word is truth. Help us, instead of cursing the darkness, help us to speak light into it as we leave this building and this church today and go out into our culture and whatever we do during the week. Help us, God, to be a light of Christ and help us to be some preserving salt while there's still time. May we be messengers of reconciliation and truly love our neighbors enough to tell them the truth. We know what is coming, Lord. We can only imagine the details, but your word spells it out quite clearly, and it is sobering, but we don't have to be afraid because we know who governs the universe, and we know your timing is perfect, and we ask that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bless each one today. Encourage their hearts. Strengthen them. Help us to remain. strengthen the things that remain. Help us to remember what we need to remember from your truth today from Scripture. We love you, O God. Thank you for your sacrifice of Jesus. And thank you for sending the Holy Spirit for giving us everything we need for life and for godliness. In Jesus' name, amen.